0: You're about to get some great insight on the unprecedented turmoil going on in the auto industry. This is AutoLine. the auto industry has been through ups and downs before but i'm not sure it's ever been this bad since the great depression of the 1930s the big difference with today's turmoil is that it came on so quick has hit so deep and has impacted virtually every country in the world it seems that every day a new calamity is hitting the auto industry especially in the american market now there's talk of gm merging with chrysler or the possibility of one of the big three going into chapter 11 or maybe even one of them going out of business altogether How bad can it get? How long will it last? And how's this all going to play out? Well, to get answers to those questions, I've got two automotive analysts joining me on today's program. Rebecca Lindland is the Director of Industry Research at IHS Global Insight. And Paul Halterman is the Vice President for Global Advisory Services at CSM Worldwide. If you want to learn more about the current crisis in the auto industry, stay right where you are. We'll be back right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Extra, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine.
1: Here now is John McElroy.
0: Welcome to our discussion now all about the turmoil that the automotive industry is in with Paul Halterman from CSM Worldwide and Rebecca Lindland from IHS Global Insight. Great to have the both of you here today. Thanks Same for here, having John. me on. Rebecca, let me start with you. I, I don't know if I've ever seen the industry in such turmoil as it is right now. Uh, have we hit bottom? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel?
1: What can you tell us? We haven't hit bottom, and the light at the end of the tunnel is 2010, really. I mean, realistically, we're looking at an even worse 2009. And the only silver lining is that we could plan for it. Nobody really planned for 2008 to be as bad as it was, as it is, as it's still going to be. <laughs> but we can at least plan and make preparations for a really bad 2009. Aye, aye,
2: aye. Paul, how do you see it? We agree, we agree. 2009 is gonna to be tough, it's gonna to be worse than 08. But again, uh, there's at least some time to do some things about it, uh, not just for the OEMs, but the suppliers also to uh, to prepare for a, a, t- a tough, tough year, year and
0: a half. Now, are you talking just the U.S. market, or what about globally?
2: It's global. Take a look what's happening in Europe and in Asia. You know, it's so funny, I was in China uh, in January, February, and they were saying, "Oh, it won't affect us. Won't affect us." And I said, "Well, wait a second. You know, when the, uh, the American consumers stop buying uh, German luxury cars and French wine, and they slow down, and they stop buying Chinese toys, and now what are we seeing? We're seeing Chinese toy factories closing down in Guangzhou. Yeah. So it's uh, it's hitting everybody.
0: And you see it the same. It's a
1: a global issue. Last year, last week, I was in Paris all week, and and it was talking to the different suppliers over there and saying, we are not the cash cow anymore. And you need to understand that not only in the U.S., but emerging markets as well. We're seeing every, you know, any forecast that you may have had, if you had double-digit growth going there, you need to contain that and say, you know, there's a really good chance, especially in emerging markets where everyone was looking for additional revenue, that it's just not going to be there.
0: Coming back to the American market, Paul, you know, the big news here is the possibility of a GM Chrysler merger. Uh, most analysts are going, what are they thinking about? You know, they, they, no one seems to be able to make sense out of this. Give us, what, what are some of the pros and what are maybe some of the cons of a deal of GM and Chrysler going together?
2: Well, there are some pros. I mean, for, exa- for example, the Chrysler minivan is a pro. Uh, General Motors doesn't have a minivan in their fleet anymore, so there's a winner there. Um, they've got some decent manufacturing operations down in Mexico. Uh, there's some winners there. The 300C gets redone the year after next, so there's another hot product coming out after that. Some of the negatives, Chrysler needs a, a C and CD segment product in the worst way for Belvedere and SHAP. GM has good Delta Epsilon product. You know, Now, that, translate,
0: Delta Epsilon, what kind uh, of cars uh, are you talking Chevy
2: about? Chevy, Cobalt, uh, uh, Malibu, uh, class vehicles, Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's okay. <laughs> industry language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, General Motors does have some good product in that space that that, that that could be utilized within a Chrysler organization, but the difficult part is, how do you rationalize all that quick enough so that you get the synergy out of it? For me, that's, that's the Big concern. How, do, how, how quickly can you rationalize it, and what is really the effect on southeastern Michigan? And we'll come
0: back to that in a second. But how, how do you see pros and cons of this?
1: I, I can understand the appeal in terms of cost cutting and and synergies, getting rid of some duplicate, you know, get, getting rid of some, some duplicate product even in the in the market potentially. But long term is my issue. Okay, so. You know, two years from now, when you've been able to cut out capacity and you've been able to lay off tens of thousands of people, GM is just left bigger. And that's a problem for them. They're left with 2,500 more dealers, 3,500 more dealerships. They're left with three more brands. And they have not expanded their global presence at all. Because GM, Ford and Chrysler are not only focused on North America, but then when you factor in where if you bring in Chrysler, you haven't expanded any of your global presence. So, you know, it's not like people all over the world are clamoring for Dodge. It's a it's a blue collar American brand. So they're not even able to expand their financial web in terms of getting revenues in other locations. So long term, I just I, I'm I'm having a hard problem with this. It's a near term play. It, it is, and, but then the long term costs could be that much worse. And are they really better together?
0: Well, and what I'm looking at is I I don't know of any. Merger or acquisition that's really worked. If you look at Daimler and Chrysler, if you look at BMW and Rover, if you look at you
1: can go further back even. You know Studebaker. I mean, there's nothing. There weren't positives. We don't have a good track record for mergers in this industry.
0: Paul, what do you see happening long term then? If there's there is this merger, can can they make it work? Well, uh, first.
2: Again, they're take, it's, I purely believe it's a short-term play. There isn't, the, the long-term issues, they've gotta get rid of dealers and they've gotta got get, uh, get, get rid of brands. Frankly, the next year and a half might provide them some opportunity for that. Some of those dealers might voluntarily leave the scene. And, uh, and that, that, you know, that, that, that could, yeah. could well, happen. I, okay? I'd say involuntarily yeah. <laughs> leave the scene,
1: but it's credit yeah. issues yeah. that yeah. are ex- driving ex- them out. Right.
2: Exactly. Uh, but um, you know, long-term, I, I agree that there really isn't a global play for them. It doesn't really get them uh, that much more in, in, in the North American space, so, but it does buy them some short-term breathing room. And maybe you know, you know if you're sitting uh, in, in the Renaissance Center, that, that might be all, your, all you need right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just get to the end of next year as where right. yeah. your focus
0: is. Right. Okay, well, there's all this talk of federal money coming in to help bail out the domestic auto industry. Rebecca, I'm, I'm gonna make you CEO right now. of <laughs> Any one of the okay. domestic automakers, what would you do with the money?
1: Wow. What I would do with the money, I mean, there's a lot of different options. I think a lot depends on the caveats that it comes with if you make a deal with the government. So will they let you go in and, you know, in my mind, it's not just about developing R&D or new technology or new products. It's about cash flow right now and operating costs. I would certainly try and refinance any of the higher loan debt that they may have out there, looking and trying to get rid of some of the double-digit interest rates that they have, trying to improve their standing. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it depends on Wall Street's perception of, of the company. If they can improve that, get a better bond rating, get a better junk, junk right now they're a junk rating, improve some of their, their paper, I think that's going to help in terms of just the expenses that they, they, their cash burn every month.
2: And there's another point on top of that too, and that is that uh uh, 35 MPG uh, CAFE in 2020 is not gonna go away. And they're actually having to place their bets for that right now, so they can put some of that money into uh, a better powertrains and a mass reduction, things like that, and it would be nice to also see if some of that money can be spread out to some of the suppliers also that, that are gonna need some low-interest loans if they can't get anywhere else to, uh, uh, to help this uh, spur this R&D effort that's gonna be necessary to get the fleet ready for what's coming at us. So you, same thing. You'd give it to suppliers well, think, as well.
1: I think it's it's the 25 billion that's already been allocated for R and D and technology is easy is easy to classify. You can say okay, that's that's for R and D technology, and absolutely you have to support if DOE, the suppliers. Well, the right is back. well yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's you know, that's allocated. What the what the industry needs is more money. Yes. Now and so now they're coming to Washington and saying, you know, we need. Not just long-term money, long-term being relative, of course, but short-term right now, we're in a bind right now and in terms of you know consumer people feeling like they can't even buy a vehicle, they can't get a loan. Besides the fact then they're cutting you know cutting back on wages for a 1K contributions, I mean, all these, right now they're going through so much cash that it's fixing, getting money to fix right now as as well as the future.
2: So turn GMAC into a bank so they can yeah. tap into the $700 <laughs> well, exactly. billion, and and turn and more credit into a bank so they can tap into the- And that's what they're
1: looking at doing. Yeah, exactly. you know, that's what they're looking at doing.
0: Okay, there's been talk amongst uh, the analyst community that Uh, GM in particular is burning through a billion dollars in cash, depending on how you want to measure it. Some people are saying that they're going to run out of money uh, by the end of next year. Others are saying, yeah, well, they'll get down to a critical level even before that. What would happen if one of the car companies were to go into chapter 11, which has been openly talked about in the analyst community?
2: Well, first it'd be a huge psychological effect, but then there's also this other issue that happens. Once you go into bankruptcy, you can now start to do things with your creditors and with all these dealer franchise laws that everybody else can't do. And now you've almost opened the door to make it more attractive for the other guys to jump the same route so that they can have the same advantages in negotiating deals with their creditors and with every one of their franchises that right now there's, you know, 50, law, 50 states with 50 different sets of laws out there managing that process. And that would be a huge competitive advantage, unfortunately, for somebody
0: that stepped over that line. How do you see that? What, what if one were to go well, after a lot of I
1: it. know everyone's sort of concerned about the perception issue, but really the perception starts with if your local dealer goes under. You know, because then suddenly people again don't understand that the dealer is a separate entity in many cases. So then they stop and say, "Does that mean that you know, GM, Ford, and Chrysler have gone under because my local Ford dealership just went under?" So the psychological effect can be felt even before mm-hmm. one of the big three declares bankruptcy. The Main Street effect. E- exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and the and the people saying, "But wait a minute," I, I do think that you know there could be positives bankruptcy, it helps with negotiating on the franchisees and all these dealerships. And the union,
0: it, potentially. And, and
1: the union, you know. But again, it, it is, I mean, there's, you you have to really look very carefully at the silver lining that's there because there's a lot of baggage that comes <laughs> with it. There's a lot. It does clear out some, some laws, though, and, and it does get them clear to renegotiate some of the things that are preventing, like GM, from closing down brands because it's just too bloody expensive. So, you know, there are some things, but again, it's, is it worth it?
0: Would people stop buying cars from a company that declares itself in Chapter 11, but continues to build vehicles and put them in showrooms?
2: Hard to say, you know, with the psychology out there. People kept on buying Oldsmobiles when, you know, it was obvious that Olds wasn't going to be a brand anymore. Right. Uh, uh, but you know, could they even buy them? I mean, that's the real issue right now. You know, average people can't even get credit for a loan <laughs> or a lease. And, uh, and if we can't get that resolved in the next couple months, uh, everything, all the money they throw at Detroit isn't gonna help that problem in the near term.
1: I think there's a lot of people too that don't really know the origins of their vehicles really i mean not you know not not to discount the, the research consumers do but a lot of consumers don't really know the the chain of ownership you know i don't think that a lot of jags and land rover buyers know that tata motors owns their their brand now so i think that it depends on how it's handled how do they feel it you know how what is the impact on on their process of purchasing a vehicle. And I think there's a lot of hype that can go into it. We all know that the media is not going to treat any of the big three gently when it comes to if they would go this route. And so then they've got a big marketing and PR mess on their hands. But some would argue they have a marketing and PR mess on their hands now anyway. (laughs) That's
0: right. Paul, you brought up suppliers a little while ago. Again, sticking with this topic of what if one were to go Chapter 11. I mean, presumably you go Chapter 11, so you stop paying your bills right what would that do to suppliers
2: well think about the ripple effect across the tier twos threes and fours that are out there then also what that does so that the uh, further ruins the credit market you know within the the supply industry if they can even get it right now and that's that's a big problem even blue chip firms are having trouble raising cash right now I was with a bunch of supplier uh, sales and marketing VPs yesterday and they were telling me they were literally having to no quote programs right now because they can't get the capital to expand and these are are major firms with good balance sheets. These aren't guys that are, are teetering on the brink. These are solid firms. And so the cash is just not out there right now. So it, it I mean, I've, I've never heard of good firms having to pass on business because they couldn't borrow money to expand.
0: Now look at the Getrag deal with Chrysler. Yeah. Chrysler Mm -hmm. uh, essentially sued them for not coming up with the financing, Mm -hmm. and the whole deal went belly up. But I think, too, hey, if you're going to merge with General Motors, why would you pursue a transmission deal with Getrad?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You could could turn that equation around, too. (laughs) But I think it's important. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, Well, it's important to recognize, too, that if one goes, like the ripple effect, it could bring others down. I mean, suppliers, certainly. It's not, it's not just a small percentage of, of their market or their, their business that may be with GM, for instance. They're spread out amongst several of them. If their GM business goes away, whoever they may be, it could then bring them into bankruptcy. That has a negative impact on everybody but else. Then even well, the other they, OEMs. Exactly. Take a look at the consulate. All, all, all the other, right. Including Toyota. Everybody. So there could be this avalanche effect of bankruptcy. there's a, a bankruptcy. perception
0: out there in the country of so what? Let General Motors go down. We don't need General Motors.
1: Right. And, but what people don't always understand is that GM then in turn ripples down into and the dealerships. It ripples into the dealerships. It ripples into, into the deli across the street where the waitress goes and, and you know prepares the meals and goes to the dealership. The, the, the credit unions. The life insurance companies. The, everybody. Yeah, but the argument will be, and I don't buy into this oh, argument, right,
0: mind but, you, but yeah, well Toyota, Nissan, and the rest of them will pick up the pieces.
1: But consumers need to understand it's just not that easy. And it's just it's not a quick fix and it's not something that they won't be impacted by because their local community is going to be impacted by their dealerships going under and all the jobs that are supported even even however loosely by those dealerships.
2: If General Motors or Ford or Chrysler what didn't exist in a few months, what would that do to the southeastern Michigan economy? People who would be looking for jobs that don't exist, they wouldn't be able to pay their mortgages. We would have another uh, kind of downward spiral. It could get really ugly.
1: And the thing is that it's not just Southeast Michigan anymore. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that it's not just a Michigan problem. It's, it's a Midwestern problem and then you filter it out into the supplier problem and, and, and suddenly you've got everybody very, very negatively impacted and people that they wouldn't even think about.
0: Well, you know, I, I think another uh, point, and maybe you guys can elaborate on this, is just the, the pension burden. If one of them goes hmm. out and dumps that all on...
1: Uh, on the government. Right? On the government, right? Exactly. right, which is
0: already stressed out. Right. Well, uh, they're uh, flush
1: with cash. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: they do have a printing machine.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: and the dollar continues to go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: well, let's talk. What, what if Chrysler were absorbed by General Motors? What, what would the impact be on southeast Michigan? <sighs> You
2: know, uh, near term depends on how quick the cuts could be made and synergies could be achieved. Um, near term, it could be difficult, long term, maybe better. Um, um, it's tough.
1: I think it's important to look too at what happens if it doesn't happen. You know, so so I mean, because the because the industry is so fragile right now, it, it, if it happens, you know, you're going to lose jobs. Okay, so what happens if it doesn't happen? There's a really good chance you're going to lose jobs anyway. So you almost have to walk through which scenario is worse and better and which one is going to have less of an impact.
2: And if it didn't happen, it's more like that somebody else would step in at a better price point. But who are
1: you rescuing? You're rescuing Cerberus. Do oh, they need well, rescue? I, I, I,
2: I, from I a U.S. taxpayer perspective, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you.
1: Okay, this is not a sympathetic figure for me.
2: But if you take a look at Chrysler from a, another foreign entity's perspective, and you say dealer distribution network, uh, 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 a Jeep brand, uh, a minivan, uh, uh, a new 300C coming in another year and a half.
1: Is that enough?
2: Well, if you if you were if you were one of a, an interesting Asian couple, interesting Asian couple, <laughs> interesting you European companies also that fit that mold that could now could now be more global themselves, okay. and they could rise up from that middle tier up into that top I'll give 30 you that. guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm much more interested in having somebody else rescue Chrysler than GM. I, so I'm not at all against the idea of somebody rescuing Chrysler at all. And there are more synergies with other companies who shall remain nameless it's the gm thing that i don't see necessarily helping southeast michigan i don't i don't know that it's it's going to be a positive well for don't them. you
0: think the michigan delegation at some point ie the governor the senators the congressional representatives the county executives are going to stand up and I gotta believe at some point. Say, wait a minute. Why are yes. we using taxpayer money to help wipe out tens of thousands After of jobs? After Tuesday, Grand, maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Granholm already is saying that. She says, I'm not going to agree to something that's going to, you know, mean tens of thousands of jobs lost. But my my issue is, is are you going to lose them anyway? Which, you know, under which scenario are you going to lose less? And that's really the goal. Is let's minimize the damage. And so when we look and see what are the different options, what can you do with, with any of the companies? What, how are we going to minimize the damage here?
0: When you look at the global auto industry, how are other companies or countries or markets reacting? Is there, are there any lessons to be learned as to what they're doing?
2: I think everybody is quite surprised at how quick this came upon them. And are all in, a, I would say, a quasi-emergency mode of trying to retrench and say, whoa! And take a look how quick Toyota responded. Okay, they're going to be building Priuses in Mississippi and and, and moving, consolidating production of, of 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 Tundra in Texas and moving, you know, Highlander into Princeton and doing things. How they were able to quickly, quickly, quickly respond. The other good news, though, is, frankly, Ford and General Motors were headed in that direction anyways already with the consolidation plans they had. It's not like they were f- totally flat on their feet bringing their global product in, downsizing, et cetera, et cetera. So all they need to
0: do is buy some time until those plans really from roll my, out. From
2: my perspective, yeah. yes. If, if, as, long as, as long as the recovery happens the way we think it's going to happen <laughs> and things don't get a hell of a lot w- worse than what they are right now, then I think that that is the real key issue, buy time until 2010.
1: And 2010 it is it, that is the holy grail, because then you, you can get the UAW agreements to kick in. You can get a lot of the healthcare issues resolved, costs resolved. It's getting there, and the that's the new product
0: is there. Yeah. the new product exactly. But, but I mean, getting there. In January of 2010 or yeah. December of 2010. Well,
1: right, exactly. I mean, it's, to some extent, I think I don't know exactly when the VIBAs kick in. When when all the money needs to be funded you know, if it is by first or second quarter of 2010, but a new product is certainly going to help, provided we fix the problems right now, which is financing and credit availability. And and we are, Global Insight is expecting the housing market to start coming back well into 2009. We've got to get a recovery in consumer confidence. We have to get some of the fundamentals back into the system that says to consumers, I need to go out and buy a car.
0: And You see the same thing, Paul? Uh, we
2: see the same thing exactly, and and the real issue is how do the next couple quarters play out? Do things stabilize? Does credit start to flow again? Okay, are we gas getting prices some, are coming get, down? Get, that yeah. help a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> we get some good in, good indicators. Then I think uh, we can all breathe a, a, a little bit uh, easier. Uh, but the next couple of quarters are going to going to really determine how deep and how long the situation is going to play out, and whether it really is 2010. It, right now, it's, that's our call. Okay, 2010 is, is the magic year when things start. January
0: or December. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hedging my now Okay. <laughs> Real good. Well, Paul Halterman, Rebecca Lindland, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your insights and analysis of what's going on in the industry. Terrific Thank stuff. You. I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Say, as we always do, there's more of our discussion today in the extra section of our website at AutoLineDetroit.tv. Paul Halterman and Rebecca Lindland delve even deeper into how this crisis in the auto industry is impacting automakers and markets outside of the United States. And while you're there, you'll also be able to watch our new webcast called AutoLine Daily. We've got all the latest news there on the global automotive industry, and it's updated every weekday in an easy-to-watch, five-minute video format. Then join us again next week when we talk about how cars get rated for quality with David Champion from Consumer Reports, David Sargent from J.D. Power & Associates, and Dennis Petrowski from the RDA Group. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week on Autoline Detroit.